This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, January 15th, 2021, and I have two awesome guests today. I have Marco and Dave of Hot Hardware. Hi, guys. How's it going? Going great. Good. How you doing, Mario? <laughs> so there's a lot to recap this week. Like, usually I have a special podcast with CS, but, you know, I just felt like CS actually had less news than all of Samsung, basically, at least in mobile. And then there's a few other little mobile things that came along. But I also want to hear from you a little bit about if there's anything that really stood out for you in kind of mobile or maybe laptop tablet world in terms of CS. So let's let's start with the elephant in the room. I mean, we cannot not talk about Samsung today, right? So <laughs> what's your thoughts on the S21 line? Interesting mix of technology. Uh, Marco, you want to you wanna dive in there? Um, I certainly like the Snapdragon 888 under the hood, that's for sure. Sure. So, you know, looking at, at the phones, the entire family, um, I'm happy with the snap choice of Snapdragon 888 in the U.S. and the performance that's going to offer. the The cameras appear to be well appointed, going all the way up to the ultra with the you know the dual optical zoom and the 108 megapixel camera. I'm I think I'm a fan of the styling. I'm not quite sure about that camera bump out, um, but overall, you know, looking at the device, the way they put that nice metallic look on the camera bump out and the different color options on the phone itself, I'm thinking it looks good. And in terms of, you know, the sizes and the the, the quality of the displays, I think they're going to be quite nice. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, one of the things for me, I, I really like the aesthetic of the camera bump out versus, for example, the Galaxy S20 Ultra, um, where you had that big square bump out. This one looks yeah. a little bit, you know, un- more understated, a little bit less bulky. And yeah, I expect the displays to rock. I mean, Samsung's got the best, you know, smartphone displays in the business. So beautiful, beautiful looking devices as usual, in my opinion. When, when I see that bump out, I, I think of a stoplight. <laughs> you do have that. I don't know. Yeah. I I like it, guys. I think yeah. it's uh I think it's good. I think uh it's unique. I think it felt like the S20 last year had no personality other than mm-hmm. maybe the colors on the cheaper models. And I feel that this year, like I think with the Note 20 last year, they especially the Ultra, they really kind of define a new language for themselves mm-hmm. and they're kind of tweaking that now. And I think that, you know, we're going to talk about Oppo's in a, a few minutes, but I think that having a unique camera bump is going to become a thing. Like this trend of everybody has that same rectangular in the top left corner, rounded cornered camera bump is just not not doing it, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I would I would agree. What, what are your thoughts about lack of charger in the box and lack of expandable storage? Ah, man. <laughs> I mean, the charger thing doesn't really bother me because I'm me, right? <laughs> I think <laughs> most of us don't place. really care because we have a huge collection of USB-C, PD, and other chargers. But I think for some folks, that's going to be a problem. I think the biggest challenge with this is people who come from a different ecosystem. If somebody mm. were to switch from an iPhone or came from a really old Galaxy, maybe they still have one with micro USB. You know, it's it's unlikely, but because USB-C has been on the Galaxy S series for a while now. But I, if you're coming from that, like you can't reuse your old charger. And mm. what do you do? You're going to buy some no-name brand, cheap charger, 
or you're going to plug into your computer. It's going to take forever to charge or, you know, I don't know. It's it's going to be, especially with fast charging becoming so commonplace and unfortunately not standardized. I think it's a different thing in the iPhone world to remove the charger than it is in the Android world because, mm-hmm. you know, you really want to provide the best experience, right? I, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Like I'm torn. I, I get it because, you know, Apple set the trend, blah, 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 but hey. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of having, you know, less e-waste. And I mean, let's face it, folks like you and me, we, we do, we have a, an accumulation. Um, but I think, I think there's going to be a fair, you know, percentage demographic that is missing that, that's looking for that new charger, especially if you're coming from an older platform that doesn't have a fast charger. Um, exactly. Just, yeah. 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 It's, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. The other thing you said was the missing micro SD. I am less worried about that. I, I look, I, it's it's a bummer for those few people who really care. But I've always said, look, mm. you're never going to get the same performance out of a separate external card than you're going to get from like soldered on memory. And it's getting more and more critical to have fast performance for that. The only thing you really want to use as external storage is, is like maybe music and videos and content. Most of the stuff is in the cloud now for most people. And then you add complexity and breakability and, you know, things that can oxidize like contacts on connectors. Like it's just, mm. I'm amazed that Samsung kept it this long, even though they had it removed from the S6 for a while, I think. Yeah. But they brought it back. And, and I think that it's eventually inevitable they would go away. It's it's hard actually to be annoyed because I want to talk about pricing as well at some point, right? Mm. The pricing was too high last year and it's finally back to, I think, a place where it should be. And so I can't complain too much about a few things they removed to meet that price point, like right. the 1080p displays, yeah. like the lack of MST, right? The magnetic stripe technology for for uh, Samsung Pay is gone now. Mm. Magnetic stripe emulation. So the only, th- the only reason for using Samsung Pay is to not use it because you might as well go- use Google Pay because it's NFC only now, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, yep, yeah. Between between the S twenty S twenty one, you got a two hundred dollar cost savings. You can't you can't really argue with that. Marco, what do you think? So I agree with everything you guys said, but in the back of my mind, I feel like when you're upgrading, you know, generation to generation, you shouldn't downgrade in the process. And removing features is somewhat of a downgrade. I I happen to be one of those people that does use micro SD storage. I was going to say a, he was the uh, yeah, guy. You know, yeah, I'm a super nerd. <laughs> I keep a bunch Damn. of videos and photos from previous phones that I've carried over on that micro SD. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not super enthused, but I, I totally get why it's not there. And and Marco, to to your to your point, you're also the demographic that would that would have an ultra. You, you would get the ultra. You you want the biggest, you know, baddest phone you can get, right? Yeah, but I'd want to be able to transfer my stuff that I yep. already have on that micro SD card that's not in the cloud that has multi generations. I think going back to like a Zenfone three, I have all my photos. So you know, <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm weird <laughs> like that. <laughs> Here's the thing: I think they could have kept it on the ultra. I think. That we can definitely make a good point that cutting corners on a twelve hundred dollar phone yeah. is a bit weird. But I think the S twenty one S twenty one plus did not need micro SD mm-hmm. with the prices that they're offering. Remember, these phones both have millimeter wave now. The S twenty mm. did not have millimeter wave. You had to buy a special Verizon version. Right. And so now we have a phone that's parity, like they're identical other than battery size and display. And honestly, I don't think the 1080p display is that big of a deal because in the past you could only get the 120 hertz on the 1080p mode on the on the previous 
1440p displays on the 20 and 20 plus. So I think in essence, you are, it makes more sense. Most people I talk to, my my listeners and my colleagues in the media that use the Galaxy S20s or even the Note 20s had them set to 1080p. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Because refresh rate, in my opinion, always beats resolution, especially at the point where you're already at over 400 DPI or PPI or whatever. Yep. So I think in that's a not yeah. a huge deal, right? Like that's yeah. a good cut. The MST I think is is unfortunate, but I don't use Samsung Pay, so I never benefited from it. And it was always a bit finicky because the idea was to send magnetic pulses to the card reader. So it would think there was a card in there, but most of them wouldn't work because they physically have an interlock that decides that there's a physically ins- inserted card in there. And so it was always finicky. And But a, a lot of people use Samsung Pay swore by it because they used to be able to pay in places that didn't have NFC terminals and that is now gone so I see that as something that especially in COVID times with contactless paying me being a thing and a lot of people seeming to prefer Samsung pay over Android pay because of MST that being gone or gone sorry is weird you know but I think yeah. it's only the Snapdragon version that's missing MST so it's interesting yeah but I know that yeah, I didn't know that either. That is interesting. I think it's because there's like U.S. market. U.S. market's penetration of NFC is now pretty solid, especially after a year of pandemic. So I think, I don't know. The other thing too is, we didn't mention it yet, but plastic back on the S21, the base one, the S21 Plus has a glass back. Yeah. It's interesting now that we have the S20 Fan Edition, squarely at $700, 799 you get an S21, both have plastic backs and both are pretty solid phones. And then you get the S21 Plus at 1,000, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And then 1,200 is the S21 Ultra. And I think we should talk about the cameras a bit too at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, the camera setup? Um, I know you're the, you're the camera aficionado, <laughs> so I want to I wanna get what you, what you think about that. Well, really quickly, I think that I'm a bit bummed that the S21, S21 Plus are keeping that fake telephoto. And and by that, I mean that it's a 64 megapixel sensor that's basically being cropped to create some some zoom uh it does have a 1.1 x optical lens like so like like last year it's the same basically the same setup as last year i'm sure they've improved the optics and the sensors a little but it it was a good solid system on the s20 s21 last year but i don't feel like it's going up and maybe some of the 888 and exynos 2100 ISP features are going to improve imaging. But I think that that's honestly the S20 FE here with a real 3X optical is going to be a better telephoto. And I find that crazy. But then there's the S21 Ultra and that is replicating a lot of what we saw on the Huawei P40 Pro Plus. Uh, My review is up now on Gear Diary. So go check that out, folks. That phone had a 3X and a 10X optical 8 megapixel OIS PDAF system. And uh, I think the apertures were 3.4 on the 3X and 4.4 on the 10X. The 10X is also a folded lens and a periscope. So it'll be interesting to see how the S21 Ultra fares here with the 10 megapixel and also bigger pixels, I think. Did you see that 1.4 microns on those? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. 10 megapixel, yep. 1.4 micron. Faster lens, I think, too, than the Huawei. But 3X optical and 10X honestly, I think this is going to be a game changer. It was a game changer on the P40 Pro Plus. It opens up a whole new level of creativity. 
Did they talk about did they talk about any sort of fancy compositing features they can do with Snapdragon eight eighty eight with that triple ISP sensor uh, or excuse me processing? I um, don't know. We know Uber will have to test that out at Uber Gizmo because he's he's kind of the guru on that. I can tell you this. I had a lot of conversations with the imaging team at Huawei during my P40 Pro Plus review cycle. It took a while to make that review happen because it turns out they're fusing all sensors. They're fusing the ultra-wide, the wide, and the two telephotos when you take photos. And mm-hmm. they're fusing them even when you zoom. So it's insane how it works. The output is always 12.6 megapixels despite the sensors on the telephotos on the P40 Pro Plus being only 8 megapixels. Like there's some crazy AI-based machine learning computational photography yeah. stuff going on. They call it Excel Fusion. I don't know. I, I think Samsung is going to have to do something similar because the results intuitively on the P40 Pro Plus at 10x, especially at night, don't make sense. Like You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're better than they should be for a small sensor that's 8 megapixels. You can clearly tell they're taking some light data from that crazy RYYB 50 megapixel main sensor and blending it in. And if Samsung does the same with the 108 megapixel sensor to augment the telephoto operation, I think that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking of. I mean, the capability for them to composite and, and capture additional, you know, light data um, with that triple ISP could could make for some really great computational, you know, shot results. Um, yeah. I'm interested to see what they do with that, what, what what the performance is actually like just in general. I, yeah. I think it's going to come down to exa- how they optimize the software and the algorithms because the yeah. sensor tech hasn't advanced all that much, but the AI algorithms and the math and the processing they're doing on the images has. Yeah. So I think even with a similar sensor setup, if the, the, the processing is fast enough and they're doing different processing on the image data, you can end up with much higher quality results. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's think about anything else that they remove. So we talked about the plastic back. We talked about the lack of MST, the lack of micro SD. We talked about the 1080p displays on the S21 and S21 Plus. Those are all downgrades. I think the display downgrade is acceptable. The lack of MST is acceptable. The micro SD, I can see that being an issue for some people, like you, Marco. And <laughs> uh, here's actually what I would like to bring up is... I think SanDisk or Samsung even themselves, who are masters at flash memory, should make a little nubbin that's super flat that plugs into the USB-C port that becomes a storage device. Sure. Because of wireless charging. A lot of people are not really charging, you know, by cable. So maybe that's a kind of an intermediate solution to the problem for some people. Um, these, Do we know how fast they can wirelessly charge these phones? I just oh. had it in front of me. Huh. It's what for for Samsung for yeah. the S twenty one line. It, believe it or not, it's I believe it's only fifteen watt. Ooh, that's kind of wireless. slow. I, I mean, I the P forty Pro Plus is forty watt wireless charging. Which yeah, of course you have to use their own thing, right? It's like, but um, but yeah. So that's maybe my theory is not a good one. But you know, I think Apple with that MagSafe that they introduced this year, it's possible that their next iPhone the 13 will not have a port and they will bump up the performance of that wireless MagSafe system to mm. maybe reach 30 watt or something. At that point, I think that maybe Samsung can do the same on the S22 and they'll probably keep the USB-C port, but then we could do that little thing where you put the storage unit 
in that tiny little dongle that you permanently plug into your port and you cover your port with basically because that that would actually work you know mm-hmm. or e- even having just a, an easy there's uh, solutions like this out there now but a really easy to use wireless storage device that's even in your home you don't have to have this stuff with you all the time where you right. come home and it's it syncs you know large files to a wireless device just seamlessly you know as you come within the vicinity. samsung has an ecosystem what the, why don't they get on that <laughs> <laughs> maybe we just gave them an idea <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hope they're listening and then i'm trying to think of things that are better so of course the camera system on the s21 ultra is a, is a big improvement the s20 ultra last year was a bit of a miss in terms of imaging because that it had that fake telephoto again different setup it was hybrid optical and and a 48 megapixel sensor and they remedied that with the note 20 pro uh, which i think had a fantastic 5x telephoto and then now we're seeing real optical telephotos 3x and 10x i think it's going to be a game changer and of course it's also mainstreaming this idea because you know p40 pro plus nobody's going to buy that phone as i said in my review right and at least not in this market Mm. And so this, I think we're going to see tons of ultras out there. Hopefully that's what Samsung wants and the carriers, I'm sure. And because of that, it'll, it'll democratize the process. And I think Apple's going to have to step up their game and either do two telephotos or give us something more than the relatively low tech, comparatively 2.5 X telephoto they have on the iPhone 12 pro max right now, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about the, uh, the new 3d Sonic uh, fingerprint sensor from Qualcomm? That's a nice upgrade. Oh, that's right? a good point. Yeah, so they announced that they are, were launching a new 3D Sonic sensor Gen 2 this week, and here it is in the in the, in the S21. <laughs> S21. Like, you know, yeah. it's interesting because I never really had too many issues with the original, at least not the original, because the very original was on the S10 series, I think, and it was really bad. The S20 series and no 20 series, I had no problems with. But, you know, I've, some people do, and I think this improving this, especially the surface area, which I think is what they did, is is good. Yeah, larger. I, I find it interesting. You know, the I've got the S twenty fan edition, which I'm really, really loving for the money. It's fantastic, and mm-hmm. it has an optical sensor on there. Like, so yeah. it's really interesting that they went optical on that, but they didn't go. I'm, I was expecting them to actually maybe save money and go optical on the twenty one and twenty one plus, because mm-hmm. I have a feeling Qualcomm sensor is more expensive. You guys think so? Yeah, it's it's probably more expensive. I mean, it's 70, 77% larger wow. um, and it's 50% faster. Um, so, the, you know, the nice thing is you're not, you're not talking about having to position your finger exactly in the right spot on the display. It's much more forgiving in that regard and it's much faster in, in terms of processing. So, yeah, I think, you know, larger sensor says higher cost, but I think the feature sounds great. I mean, that's that's what you want because it's 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 the better security versus, you know, facial scan or whatever. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that's what people want to use. Yeah. No, I think it's a good bit of news and Qualcomm, you know, is always there to deliver. So what are your thoughts, the two of you, because this is really something that I think you have more to say than I do about that Exynos 2100 that, uh, again, Samsung announced literally just a day or two before the S21s. So I, I think the Exynos 2100 is... Yeah, somewhat of a step backwards in that they're going back to just off-the-shelf ARM cores. I know the, the the Mongoose cores that Samsung had previously been using didn't quite perform as well as you know the uh, the Snapdragon equivalent of of the same era, um, and this should help in terms of Exynos versus Exynos. But some of the excitement goes away that there's one less custom ARM design there. Yeah, you know, 
But I the agree. fact that they're building it on, on, on five nanometer EUV, um, it could mean good things for power and battery life. It's got the, the, the Mali G78 GPU, which should be a nice big boost in graphics over the previous gen. And then lots of updates in terms of, you know, uh, neural network performance, uh, you know, 26 tops, I think, on the uh, 2100. So, so, so you think this is a good, fair equivalent to the 888 for those for the markets outside the US because it looks like the 888 is North America only because last year there was a lot of moaning and groaning from you know everyone abroad about getting the Exynos on the 20 the S20 yeah. so do you think they're finally good folks in Europe and Asia I would be surprised frankly if the Mali G78 competes with Snapdragon 888s um oh what's the version of um the mm -hmm. Adreno core um, yeah, I, I would be surprised if, if, if that Molly, uh, core competes with, with Qualcomm's Adreno core on Snapdragon 888, um, hmm. personally, cause I mean, Molly, yeah, the Molly cores in, in previous generation chips have always been, a, you know, a little bit softer, a little bit behind the Snapdragon, um, processors. So you think, you think your gut feeling says this is not going to be on par? I mean, I think, I think CPU wise, it, it should be, I mean, yeah. you're talking about a very similar architecture, right, Marco, but, um, GPU, I think that's, that's may, might be where the chink in the armor is. Right. I think in, in terms of overall performance and experience, it's going to, I don't think it's going to catch a Snapdragon 888 if you run a bunch of benchmarks, but in terms of the experience, it's going to equalize between, you know, previous gen Exynos and Snapdragon where there was a bigger divide, that divide's mm -hmm. going to be smaller now. Mm -hmm. So what about ML AI stuff? have to really see they've got a new uh neural processor on did there. they talk about it at all because that's the thing like you know uh, mediatek's been pushing really hard on on the ml side of things in their chips lately and we, we saw i don't know you saw the benchmarks i ran on the velvet with the dimensity 1000 and overall it kind of balanced out to be roughly the same performance as 765 but then the ml the machine learning stuff and the neural net processing and stuff was slightly bumped up compared to a 700 65 series chip so clearly some companies are focusing on that a little more and i'm wondering if maybe some of that gpu you know disappointment if you want to call it that might be kind of balanced out by some better performance for other things you know so the yeah. the, the npu specs are identical between the two they're both the oh, snapdragon okay. 888 and uh and the exynos are both 26 tops 26 tops but oh, okay. you yeah. you've made a good point about gpu it's not just about the npus if there's other you know if you're talking about heterogeneous compute and trying to use right. all the compute on the chip i still yeah. think snapdragon is going to have an advantage there too yeah. so they're they're obviously going to solve this gpu issue because there's another announcement that the future exynos socs are getting amd gpus you guys want to talk about that for a sec uh, is it rumor or announcement uh, no it's real it's hot it's hardware, real. so it's real. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, we talk on, we talk about rumors all the time. I'll tell I you know. that much. But. <laughs> I'm just I'm just joking because I got I, you know I've been trying to put as many hot hardware stories in the show notes as I can. Oh, um, you're good man. I I didn't actually check that it was a rumor or not. So no, it's it's real. Doctor Sue has commented how it's you know getting the Radeon into more ecosystems is important for AMD, and Samsung's commented too. So do you expect that to to kind of bring uh, yeah. the Exynos next year to parity with whatever's Qualcomm is going to throw at the wall. Could it could you know when you're when you talk about the performance of individual cores in a GPU, you know AMD and Nvidia rule right, but different power envelope right. The optimization on mobile is another part of the equation story. that yeah, yeah. AMD doesn't have the experience in. Hmm. So I I think 
it's too early to call. And the fact that there's really been no details in terms of deep technical specifications or what the targets are is somewhat telling. So it's tough to say. I think we're going to see, you know, very good pure graphics performance in terms of leveraging the GPU for other things in mobile. I'm not so sure. Yeah. And what, what's surprising to that, and, and it sort of dovetail onto that, Marco, is that even um, AMD's new Ryzen 5000 series uh, laptop processors don't have their latest integrated RDNA 2 graphics core on board. Um, they've stuck with the previous generation Vega core, um, you know, migrated it down in process and all that good stuff to, you know, get the, the power down as much as possible. But even they don't have it on, on the, the PC side. Certainly in it's in, you know, the Xbox uh, Series X and PlayStation 5. Right. But yeah, like you, you just wonder what, um, yeah, what, what that optimization looks like for a handset. Well, we'll find out. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> final thoughts on the S21. Do you think this is a slam dunk? I, I feel like in many ways it is. I feel that the pricing had to be improved and it's giving me a lot of optimism for other 888-based phones this year so that those folks who want the flagship experience are not going to have to spend necessarily $1,000. And I think it's smart when you see the iPhone 12 pricing that Samsung has adjusted the S21 line to match. I would agree. And when, when you toss in the, the fact that uh, you've got both sub six and millimeter wave supported yep. in all the handsets, that's, that it's a, it's a good value. It's a much better value. when they, they sort of took the hint, took the notes with the fan edition that said, yeah, maybe we should, you know, cater to a little bit uh, lower price demographic. Yeah. I feel that the only miss for me, like I, you know, the, obviously the ultra would be my choice, but if I was on a budget and I'd consider the S21 say, um, my only thing would be the telephoto on this. I mean, I'm not, I'm sure it's going to be fine, but it's just fine. Like last year's S20 telephoto and S20 plus were fine. When I <laughs> honestly compare them side by side with the, just the S20 fan edition, which has a real three X it's better on the fan edition. It's just <laughs> better. Yeah. You yeah. know, optics, you cannot, you cannot cheat optics. I mean, maybe in the future. <laughs> it's getting there in some ways, right? Like, I mean, I think what I, computational photography brings to the table that it's not trying to replace glass. It's trying to do new, completely different things, like this fusion thing that we talked about for the P40 Pro Plus and we're seeing on other ISPs. And, you know, things like the multi-frame HDR stuff, that, that stuff is what you cannot easily do on a current standalone camera and that's where i think the phones have gotten so good right like if you look at the evolution of mobile imaging a lot of it has been driven by computational photography and it does compensate some somewhat for the optics and sensors but i think that the optics for zooming are still still the thing <laughs> you are the proverbial pixel snob Miriam. <laughs> <sighs> tell me about you know, it i'm a snob about so many things there <laughs> I think that's a job for all of us has have to do better explaining the benefits of optical zoom versus digital yeah. zoom because general yeah. consumers don't get it. They just see a zoom number right. and they don't quite digest it. But when there's no loss in image quality with the optical zoom, you just end up with better images and people don't know that. So yeah. I think that with current technology, those large bin sensors, 48, 40 megapixels, even 108 on the uh, Samsung phones, and other phones, I think that it's okay to zoom digitally to 2x, 3x. Yeah. It's possible to get very good performance up to that level. But I feel like anything above that is starts to be problematic. And this is where optics really, really make a difference. And people are, again, there's some people who ask me, why would you ever do that with your phone? But conversely, my time with, you know, even just the Note 20 Ultra, which only has a 5x, a single 5x, any, any phone I've used with large telephoto capability, it's 
opened up a whole new dimension. Like with the P40 Pro Plus, I can literally take a photo, like I have a telescope in my hands. Like <laughs> it, it is, and it is good. It's not just a gimmick. It's not like those two megapixel macro cameras. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. it's the real deal. And that I think is once you get used to it, you don't want to go back. You know? I mean, there's often times <laughs> yeah. where you just want more reach on your camera, period. You know, you want to be able to get a closer shot from where you're standing to 100%. where your subject is. And yep. you, you, yeah. you need that zoom. I think, you know, I, you, you, it's funny, Michael, you make a point about how folks, a lot of folks don't don't understand that. And most folks are just, they pick up their camera, they're pinching and zooming onto the display. They zoom in on a shot, take a shot. And then later, you know, it might look good on that small display, but then they later go pull that off, put it on their laptop and go, oh, Ooh, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> didn't look that didn't look that bad. Yeah, yep, yep, for sure. Or they put it on their Facebook on their phone. They don't. They look at it. It looks great. And then they go to their computer in the evening, and it's been up for five hours. And they're like, "Oh, this looks terrible." Yep. Um, yeah, it's sad. The next thing I want to talk about is the Buds Pro. So Samsung also launched a couple of other things yesterday. The Buds Pro and those. Uh, Tags you can put on things if you lose them or to find them. I don't care about the smart tags. I more care about the Buds Pro. Finally, some ANC-capable earbuds from Samsung that supposedly compete with the AirPods Pro Mm -hmm, in terms mm -hmm. of performance because the previous, the Buds Live, had minimal AMC and it just didn't work very well comparatively. So what do you think? Do you think these are going to sell like hotcakes? Do you think we finally are going to see more people buying Samsung Buds than AirPods in the U.S.? (laughs) <laughs> mm. go ahead marco so <laughs> it, in terms of in terms of the specs and what the information samsung disclosed these look like winners you have you know a, a relatively large woofer relatively large tweeter you have a dedicated you know voice pickup unit you have that high quality active noise canceling you know at least according to samsung you have the 3d spatial audio um Seems like it's going to have really good battery life. So if you're not using active noise canceling, I guess they're saying up to eight hours or five hours with. Right. And uh-huh. then another 20 hours of recharge in the case for 200 bucks. So if you go side by side with AirPods Pro, these look really strong. But if they don't fit well and they don't sound good in your ear, that's that's the uh, that's the kicker. So we, we got to try and them that's out. That's always the thing, right? With yep. earbuds. Yeah. And so, but the reviews are out today. It, today mm-hmm. is, we're recording on Friday. And- well, they seem to be very positive. So I mm-hmm. think this is kind of what, you know, makes me want to think of them as an a finally an AirPods Pro competitor because the AirPods Pro to me are not the best ANC earbuds, but they are very good ANC earbuds. And we needed something very good in terms of buds from Samsung, from the Galaxy line. So far, I think the Buds Plus are my favorite of all three that are out there. Buds, Buds Plus, Buds Live. Now, I haven't tried the Buds Pro, but in terms of sonic performance, the Buds Plus are, are it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, the ANC on the Live actually wasn't that good, and I found the sound quality on the Live wasn't that good, in my opinion, so... Mm. What do you, what do you think sonically on the Buds Plus versus say you know um, like um, One Plus's uh, little cheap buds? Because this is the problem I have with a lot of especially wireless buds. Sonically, like I, I don't know what it is, but I'm always missing low end. Everything sounds like really thin and tinny to me, except for a couple of you know brands that I've tried that I really you know like the one plus buds I mentioned. And, you know, I think some Bose buds I've tried some wireless buds, 
But a lot of stuff I, I stick in my ears. I'm like, you know, where's where's the low end? I think this is the big challenge that we have. And I think computational audio, which we you know, DSP, which we've had for years now, and Apple does implement in a lot of the, at least the Pro and the Max, which are the over-the-head uh, headphones, is what's going to save that. Is we You need to measure the interface between the device and the ear in real time to get a sense of how to EQ the, the sound to, to match kind of, kind of a standard. There's too much variability in fit. Like what I'm hearing when I put on the OnePlus Buds, which I love, is not the same as what you're hearing because mm. our ear canals and our ear shapes are different. Right. And mm-hmm. now the, the, the silicone tip is kind of like the holy grail solution to that for a lot of manufacturers because you can get a more consistent fit that way because it molds to your ear a little bit. The problem with that is a lot of people don't pick the right tips. Mm. And then they like if it's too tinny listening to any earbuds that have silicone tips, you need to go up a size because as yeah. soon as you get better isolation and better plugging, as it were, of your ear canal, you're going to get better bass. Conversely, for the ones that just rest on your on the edge of your ear, just like the the OnePlus Buds or the, the original AirPods, that is going to vary hugely, and that's where DSP can really make a difference. Like you, you send an impulse to the into the ear canal, you measure the response of that impulse. You can do a, you know, basically get a filter from that. You apply that with convolution in real time mm-hmm. to all the audio that streams there. And actually, Apple does it dynamically. So as you might move the earbuds in your ear and and change things, uh, maybe uh, the environment around you changes. They change the response, and it's why they sound pretty standardized to most people. I mean, they still have to sound a certain way, and that's where you might not like the sound. That's a personal thing. But I think the biggest challenge right now we have is fit. And for people who don't like having something in their ear, they want to have the ones that kind of sit in just the entrance of the ear canal. And then for people who want the more bass, they go for the silicone tips, and it's not an optimal experience for anyone. And so when you buy that's why I think you shouldn't spend too much money on two wireless earbuds these days. You should buy something that, works for you that you like that sound is good and stick with that and spend no less than a hundred bucks and in that price range right now there's so much good stuff Hmm, like really like the my favorite right now honestly even in my opinion not better sonically but for the price almost a match are those tcl ones that are 40 bucks they're insanely great yeah you know Yep. Yeah. No, so, that's what I don't, that's kind of what I don't understand. You got $199 earbuds here. Granted they're active noise cancellation and all that good stuff. Um, but it's, it's a premium. And so these things, I gotta, I gotta be wowed. They look great. I will say that they're going to be nice and, you know, minimal in your ears and, you know, not crazy looking. You know, I mean, um, not like the Sony's, which are right now, I think the best ANC earbuds, but they're big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think these, I mean, they look good, but yeah, I, I want to, I want to be wild for 200 bucks. I, I want to put these things in my ears and just go, oh man, candy, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, hopefully we get a review units each of us soon and we'll be able to try it out because that's kind of really what the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the AirPods Pro was obviously Samsung's target and their goal was to, to one up them any way they could. I, I'm going to bet, I haven't tested them either, so I can't say that's why I'm hedging a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to bet Samsung did pull it off with these. That's what I hear from a lot of my colleagues who've reviewed them. Yep. So. Cool. Cool. So the next thing I want to talk about real quick is TCL's announcement of the 20 series phones. There's a 25G and a 20SE. Those are already out in Italy, believe it or not, but they're coming to the U.S. And we liked the TCL 10 series last year. Like, you know, I reviewed the uh, L and the Pro version, and then I reviewed the 10 
5G ultra wideband for Geekspin. And honestly, for the money, these phones were pretty damn solid. You know, they had some issues. I think that they're a little underpowered, but the 5G version at $400 on Verizon, which is obviously highly subsidized, is an incredible deal. This phone is really good for the money. So these 25G and 20SE are interesting to me because they're going to be coming to the USC. 25G goes down from the 765 in the 10 5G to a 690, same mm-hmm. processor as the OnePlus Nord N10 5G. And then, you know, the specs are roughly what you expect at that price point. It's got a nice 1080p display because, of course, TCL is a display expert, uh, so they would put something nice in there. Uh, It does look like it has a triple camera system. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it looks really good. Like, obviously, I've only seen pictures, but I do like the industrial design. The camera pod is not too generic, you know? What do you guys think? Does it look appealing to you? So the the twenty the TCL twenty five G I think is interesting that they did downgrade or technically downgrade the SOC, uh, but you have a nice big battery in there. Mm-hmm. So since you you know you reviewed the the previous gen TCL phones, I think in terms of experience, it's probably going to be extremely similar. Yeah, and they're pretty but, stockish, which was nice. Yeah, and you're and in terms of the software experience, it's going to be in line, but you're going to probably get really good battery life out of these phones. And for this kind of money, to get you know an adequate camera, to get a good software experience, to get a nice industrial design with 5g support and really good battery life that kind of ticks the boxes for the market that they're going after and i think you're going to get a better display than average because that's their thing they make their own panels actually for their phones which is very rare at this price point and then 299 missing something like on the display uh, am i looking at 720p no that's on the the se that's the SE. Yeah, the 25G has a 1080p panel. 1080p display, okay. Yeah, and I don't okay. think it's a high refresh rate panel, but the bottom line is it's 299 euros, so it means it's going to be 299 US dollars. I'm pretty sure. It'll basically gotcha. match OnePlus here on the Nord N10 5G. Now, the Nord N10 5G does have a 90 hertz display, so that's something to consider, but it'll be mm. interesting. They might even go lower than 299 in the US. You know, um, remember, comparing prices with Europe and the UK is always a little tricky. Yeah. (laughs) We we certainly learned that lesson with the Nord N10 5G, which was, in my opinion, way overpriced when I initially reviewed the European version. And then we got the $300 US pricing. I was like, okay, I can look over a lot of the things I didn't like about this phone now. Exactly. (laughs) I'm cool, guys. It's good now. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure the SE is playing in that same league as the N100 from OnePlus as the Moto G series. So I think, or maybe even in the Moto E series, you know? or the G Play mm-hmm. that just got announced. I think that's actually a, a price point that is very relevant for prepaid. And in this COVID times, for people who want just a basic phone that is not sucky, has a big screen, a good battery, you know? I think yeah. that's a good thing for people. They need that, yeah. Yeah, that option. I, I totally agree. Like that sub, sub 200 bucks to get basically a full featured phone. You obviously can't have flagship performance and flagship no. features, but a, a minimal compromise phone for under 200 bucks. I, I think that's great. Yeah. And it looks like, it looks like uh, sub six is supported, maybe not millimeter wave, but sub six. And that, that gets you by, certainly in a lot of, uh, you know, suburban areas and all that good stuff. I mean, I'd like to think that you know, you only need that these days, especially if you unlocked, right? But I mean, these are going to be carrier phones. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a 25G version with a 765 for Verizon. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, they did it for the 10, the, you know, technically the TCL 10 5G unlocked and never made it to the US. Mm-hmm. Like there is a five sub six only 
5G version of that phone that's unlocked. It's only sold in Europe. So in the US, they just decide, forget, we're just going to partner with Verizon. And it blew our minds, $400 for <laughs> a Snapdragon 765G phone with millimeter wave that doesn't suck. Yeah, <laughs> like there's yeah. nothing about that phone that's weak like it's basically everything is lower-ish but it's not bad and yet it's $400 I just couldn't believe it I was getting gigabit speed for 400 bucks in my hand it's like wow that's great yeah I tell you what the sub 6 um, rollout is is going well in, in my town um, in, you know I'm on Google Fi and it's strapped to T-Mobile here in the area um we're getting 5G almost everywhere now. It's it's now kind of, and I'm in, you know, I'm 45 minutes outside of Boston in the burbs. And um, you can see, you can see download speeds, 150 megs down, you know, 30 to 40 megs up uh, on sub six, way out, you know, way out of the city. And yeah. so it's, um, it's encouraging. It's, it's nice to see that, um, you know, it's it's getting more real. Apple and Apple and Verizon didn't make it real, but it's getting more real. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, like for like, look at where I live in San Francisco. It's like a year ago, I had, I think AT and T was the only thing I could get sub six, and it was crap. It still is. I haven't really changed. Then T Mobile came along, although it was in the East Bay first for a little while in Oakland, across the bay from from me, and then. Verizon now has both sub six and millimeter wave. I literally have to walk a block to get millimeter wave now. Mm, nice. <laughs> Outside, nice. I mean, and this is in a year, right? And That's now, of great. course, you you know, San Francisco doesn't always believe it or not doesn't always get the stuff first because it's a very tricky market because of hills and you know geographically difficult and population density. It's a little weird because it's 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 less dense than say New York City, so it's not the place where they roll out stuff usually. You know, usually they roll out stuff in like Dallas and Atlanta and, you know, smaller right. cities. And sometimes New York, they go nuts when they really feel confident and they go to New York City. But San Francisco, we never get stuff first. And so we didn't. But at the same time, within a year, we got everything, you know? And yeah. it, mm -hmm. it's okay. Like T-Mobile is definitely the best of the sub six right now. I'd say Verizon beats AT&T, but not by much. And you're basically better off on... 4G for both of those, AT&T and Verizon, unless you go to millimeter wave on Verizon. But we still don't have millimeter wave for T-Mobile or AT&T in this market. So they exist, remember? They have that too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we keep forgetting about that, but I have never experienced it. So I'd be curious to find out what it's going to pan out to be like. Exactly. Following up on TCL, they also showed some rollable devices, a tablet and a phone. And I'll put a hot hardware link to that in the show notes, but what I want to kind of transition to is the LG rollable phone, which I think is further ahead in terms of likelihood to be released this year, because TCL is really good at showing concepts, but right now they've shown us folding phones for a while and we haven't gotten anything yet. Yet LG completely blew us away with that wing last year, right? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if they actually make a rollable phone that comes out this year at an insane price point. What do you guys think of this rollable idea? Does it scare you? Like it seems to be motorized, which I think makes a lot of sense. You want to control the tension and the weight yep. on curls and stuff, right? I yeah, I, I think it looks. I think it looks great. Um, actually, the concept, you know, it, it's it's it. I guess it's is it prototype at this point, or is it just concept? Yeah, it's totally prototype now. The concept was already shown. I thought at IFA, right? 
looks like you're getting 33% roughly or so more display as it rolls out. And that makes sense to me. When you, when you tuck a flexible OLED display in behind, you know, how much can you fit inside the body and then roll up like that? Um, I think, I think that's a really smart design. The other thing we've seen that, you know, has, has bode well for, I guess, you know, small motors and handsets, which, you know, you're kind of twitchy about that, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, we but, all are because we're engineers, right? It's like, we're like, right. ah. Remember OnePlus? Remember OnePlus had the uh, Periscope camera and, you know, they showed like guys hanging a 50 pound weight on that camera. So I think you can pull off the um, endurance factor uh, as well, uh, is what I'm saying. I think the technology is there for the endurance potentially as well. So I, yeah, I'm kind of optimistic. That's kind of cool. I mean, I will gladly review this for you folks when it comes out. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Deal. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, no, this looks, this is interesting. I think like folding is definitely also coming to fruition and maturity. I think that uh, we're going to see another uh, Galaxy Z Flip of some kind and I can update this year from Samsung, the the one that basically looks like a little compact when it's shut and turns out to a normal size phone when it's open. I love that phone. I actually have the, currently have the AT&T 5G version of it. And still every now and then I pull it out and just use it because it's just so nice. It's cool. It's so nice, so compact, so small in my pocket, yet it's a full-on phone. And it's not like cumbersome when it's open like the Fold 2 was. I mean, the Z Fold 2 was such an incredible phone last year. But it's like, you know, the flagship of all flagships, basically. It's so nice, right? It's kind of felt <laughs> like that to me. Whereas the Z Flip was like, ah, oh, it's, it's only 1200 bucks. It's fine. Like, it's it's a flagship, you know? See, I think I think you touched on a point I wanted to make. It's, it's all about the ultimate form factor. Like, I thought that the Z Flip was a nice form factor because when it was open, it wasn't too big. Right. And this, this rollable concept you kind of could get the best of both worlds. You could get that typical phone form factor when it's when it's rolled up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That yeah. converts into that nice big screen um, without any weird, you know, hinges or, you know, the foldable spots where you can you can see the difference, assuming that it is all motorized and you don't end up with any waves or weirdness in the display. I, I, I would go out on the limb and say, this is better than any foldable concept if they agree. if they pull it off. Because and you don't have to have a um, such a permanently creased, like the issue with the with oh, yeah. the, the flexible yeah. OLED is when you fold it and you keep it in your pocket, it stays in that position for so long. This seems like you could get by with um, less of a fold inside once it rolls back into the phone. Ergon, you know, like ergonomically, it could be could be better or easier on the display. Yeah, my only fear with that is you're constantly having that potential of friction between the part of the display that hides mm-hmm. and that part that comes out. You know, yeah. at the gap. Yeah. So like, you know, if there's a like sand particle in there or something, you're going to get this nice long scratch yeah. as it opens. Like, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> let's see how that pans out. I, I think there's going to yeah, be a lot a of point. challenges around that. But look, I think it's super cool. I can't wait. <laughs> you, you, you just you just foretold uh, the most popular YouTube video of 2022, watching people scratch their rollable phones with sand. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, please send some proceeds my way. Um <laughs> Oppo Find X3 Pro leaked. The only thing I want to mention here is that, speaking of interesting camera bumps, Marco, earlier, uh, mm-hmm. that you feel not not too hot about, but that me and Dave are pretty excited about the S21 camera. I think aesthetically, it's beautiful and it has a really nice design language for something that needs to be kind of a little unwieldy because it has to be, because we need Z-depth for our cameras to work properly. Um, mm-hmm. These Oppo Find X3 Pro leaks, which would be their flagship, show a very interesting approach to the camera bump, huh? like it 
Yeah. I do like it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Marco? I, think I really like it. It looks much better with, with the phone outside of a case. The, the, the only issue with these are for people that are going to use a case because they're not going to taper properly and hit that curved edge right. nicely. So yeah. you're going to have to expose more of that bump when it's in a case. But aesthetically, this looks more appealing. I, I'm not saying that it's better functionally, but it looks better. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see how that pans out. That phone, I'm definitely looking forward to. The the Oppo Find X2 Pro last year that I reviewed for you folks was, if that had wireless charging, I might have made it my main phone, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. So I went with the OnePlus 8 Pro instead. And speaking of OnePlus and BBK Group, OnePlus released a band in India this week. And it's not too surprising because they've actually released TVs in India. So they're really building up their ecosystem in, in some markets. And I mean, a band, everybody can, well, everybody, any major brand can make a band these days that doesn't suck. Mm. So I'm not surprised I did that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. O2 sensor, right? Yeah, that's one thing that's nice. I've, the Honor band that I have, we're going to talk about Honor in a second, actually. Honor has had SPO2 sensing on their like less than $70 bands for a year or two now. And like predating the pandemic, which is really cool because I, I wear one sometimes and I love it. I love the fact that, you know, for this kind of money, you get continuous heart rate and SPO2 monitoring. Continuous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the battery life doesn't seem to get hit by it at all. It's like perfectly fine with it. Yeah. We're quite a ways from the Microsoft band. Remember how clunky that was? It did all that, but it didn't do it well. Marco, you you rocked the the band for a while, right? I I did when I was you know in my psycho fitness kick, and it really <laughs> it's it served me well. It really did for the at the time that form factor was better for me because you know boxing was my preferred workout and it fit under the gloves, so I, oh, wow. I did like it. But I broke every single one of them. You know, they, they, <laughs> of course you did. Microsoft the gave me gloves. gave me three. You know, <laughs> but they they broke not from boxing like stupid silly stuff would break. You know, oh. and it it was obviously a quality issue. I think lots of people complained of the quality on the band. Yes, yeah, you know, mine somewhere. Does it work? Yeah, yeah. It's. Wow. I mean, I haven't charged it. I bet you the battery's dead now. But right. But uh, I mean, I never broke mine. But my, I don't exercise like you do. So I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, here's the thing. Like you know, so they made a band. No big deal. Uh, I want to kind of segue into the Magic Book Pro and Band Six from Honor. Honor announced their new band this week, the Band Six. And honestly, it's like. I have been really impressed with Huawei and they're they're now no longer part of Huawei, but this design of the band and this laptop, the Magic Book Pro, were clearly designed during the Huawei days and are basically that design language and basically sharing that engineering. So the bands from Huawei and Honor predating the sale of Honor were pretty much equivalent between the two brands. Like they just had the branding different and the naming different, but functionality wise it always kind of matched and again at usually less than 79 bucks for these some of models as low as 39 bucks and you can buy them in the u.s because they're sold on amazon and honestly they work with ios and android and i've really loved them xiaomi makes some really great bands as well i've never gotten one but a lot a lot of my colleagues uh, in the media wear the xiaomi band because they're so cheap and they just do everything they need you know so Mm -hmm. I mean, smartwatches are nice, but you don't necessarily need one. If all you want to do is like continuous heart rate monitoring, sleep monitoring, uh, maybe SPO2 from time to time, and then definitely your, all your steps and, you know, basic workouts, which are all built into these bands. Like you can select the workout you want to do. And some of them auto, like the the Honor bands are pretty smart at auto detecting. You know, 
for that price, you break one, you get another one. Doesn't matter, right? It gets synced every yeah. night anyway. So I, I was just going to make that point. Like if if you do any sort of you know uh, high intensity uh, you know intervals or any kind of training like that, these you know. A, a smartwatch is way more unwieldy and heavy and clunky and expensive. Yep. You don't want to break it. I, these would make much more sense if fitness is your focus. Same with yeah. sleeping. Like you, you don't want to sleep with a watch. It's all, it seems uncomfortable, right? A yep. band, you don't even notice it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it. Smart smartwatch utility in in you know, I guess in all the forms that it was pitched to the market back in the day when you know when they first came out and as they refined over the years. How, how much, except for messaging, without pulling your phone out of your pocket for a text or something like that, how much do you really use that? Calendar notification, okay. But, you know, is is there that much more utility and, and does a fitness watch like this, you know, much more stripped down, does a, a few things really well? Uh, you know, like, I don't know. I Like, for me, like, I think it's this, this is where the meat of the market is. This is where the opportunity is, this kind of product. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you I worked for Pebble, so <laughs> I love my smartwatches. I know some things about smartwatches and I feel that the only reason I like to wear a smartwatch in the daytime at least is for notifications and like some very basic beyond these health and fitness things we just talked about functionality. But I do wear a band at night because I don't want to wear a watch and I just mostly do it for sleep tracking. And here's the thing, like even an Apple watch, uh, it's a little cumbersome about sleep tracking. And of course you have to charge it every day. Whereas these bands, they last for a week, two weeks on a charge and they auto detect it. You're sleeping. If you take a nap, they detect it. If you sleep like a proper night of sleep, they detect it. They figure it out and you never have to worry about it. It's like just works. And then you look in your app and you go, oh, look at that. And you know, in the case of OnePlus, I'm sure, but also of Honor and, and Huawei, those bands sync with Google Fit. So you get all your data in there. You're just happy as a clam, you know? Mm. Yep. Mm. Uh, they, they would track me and say, this guy's psycho. He doesn't sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> I think a I, lot of journalists problem. are in that boat. <laughs> it's funny. I, I, at the opposite end of the spectrum, when I was in my psycho fitness kick and lost all my weight, I, I got my resting heart rate so low that I would fool my Microsoft band into thinking I was asleep when I wasn't. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <that's> right. Wow. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, Honor has a Magic Book Pro. I have the, again, this is Honor, you know, separate now, but engineered in the Huawei days that Magic Book Pro is basically just an update to the Magic Book Pro with the new Intel chips, I think. And mm-hmm. the Magic Books are very similar to Huawei's laptops. I have a couple of Huawei's laptops and I love them. They're really freaking nice. They look a lot like MacBooks, so they're cheating a little bit industrial design-wise, kind of copycatting it. But in terms of performance and guts and build quality and general experience these are really really nice laptops so Hmm. for general purpose use you know they're not like super uh gaming type things or anything like that but yeah yeah the the only the flip side of that on on this release the magic book pro uh, 16 that i i see here uh, they've got intel 10th gen under the hood instead of 11th gen they don't have the latest um you know, uh, Tiger Lake um, platform. So, I mean, I mean, think perform- performance would be fine, but you don't have the the most current, you know, um, because most capable. you know that's there's a reason for that is because Honor was always the kind of more, the economy, the more budget Cost, brand, yeah. right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so if you look at the MateBook, which is the exact equivalent series from uh, Huawei, at least you know in the days when Honor was part of Huawei, you'll see that indeed 
the uh, they are they just switched I think to the 11th gen recently. So. The Tiger Lake, okay, yeah, gotcha. So that's actually, go. or if it's not, it's been announced, it's coming soon. It's a cost thing then. So so two crazy little brands we haven't heard from in a while. HTC announced <laughs> another phone. The last time they did was, and this is this is Taiwan only, I think so far. Last time they did was in the summer. I covered the announcement I think on the podcast in August sometime. And now here is a Desire 21 Pro 5G, which eh, is a mid-ranger, mm. I think. Uh, let's see. Nope, not even that. Lower mid-ranger. Snapdragon 690 again. Damn. This is pretty it interesting. It looks a little chunky, too. I don't know why. I'm, am I getting a, a Z thickness? I think you're correct. I think it might be because... Oh, and it's a 6.7 inches. I was going to say, maybe it's a smaller screen. No. Wow, Big it is battery. chunky. Big battery. 5,000? No, it shouldn't be that thick. It does look chunky, doesn't it? Should- it? Yeah, it looks a little chunky. I don't know why. <laughs> they had some it's spare parts monkey. laying around, decided to build a phone. It's probably going to be <laughs> nice to hold, though. You know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. IPS, 90 hertz. Does, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where the fingerprint sensor is because it doesn't look like it's in the power lock key and it doesn't look like it's under the display because it's IPS. And it doesn't look like it's anywhere in the back. So maybe it doesn't even have one. <laughs> uh, mm. Believe it or not, that still happens. Uh, 48 megapixel main camera, ultra wide macro and depth of course four cameras two of them are useless that's pretty typical <laughs> at this price point look i don't have anything against macro cameras depth sensors can be helpful obviously but the problem with macro cameras is most of these two megapixel and five megapixel jobbies don't have autofocus i mean you have one job as a macro shallow depth of field you need to yep. freaking focus okay like a human <laughs> is not going to do it right so you need autofocus on that like yeah, yeah I don't you do you do. And and this is one thing I love about Moto. Moto is putting autofocus even on their like G series phones on the macro lens. Even if it's a two megapixel, which is not the best. And at least the pixels are pretty big, which is nice for low light, but they at least put autofocus on theirs. But like when you see what BBK group, Oppo, you know, OnePlus, everybody else is doing. I mean, the fact that the OnePlus 8 and 8T don't have autofocus on their macro lens is ridiculous yeah. at that price point. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, anyway. Agreed. The other brand that we've all forgotten, kind of, is BlackBerry. And apparently they just sold their smartphone IP to Huawei. Wow, right? So I, yeah, I read it was only, it was was only nine, 90 patents, though. Okay, it was, 90 it was patents. Ni- it's still a lot, though, patents. right? It is a lot. Like, I was reading comments from the CEO, and he's saying that it's a small part of their patents, and it's not relevant to their current business. So this might be more about Huawei... Um, you know, gaining some IP for protection from other companies. You know, I don't know Could how be, it all yeah. works, you know, but yeah, it's weird to see just BlackBerry being so nonchalant about it in the comments too. Like, yeah, no big deal. It's It, it fits with the regulations. It makes for a good head. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're it being nonchalant. It makes for a good headline yeah. is all I'm thinking. But yep. uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it surprised me. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe yeah. we'll see some BlackBerry branded smartphones from Huawei since they no longer have Honor. <laughs> Because, you know, yeah. TCL made the last BlackBerry phones, and they're pretty awesome. Like, the BlackBerry Key 2 was a really great phone mm-hmm. at its time. I reviewed it for uh, Geekspin, and I loved it. I mean, you know, with caveats that I'm not a hardware keyboard person, so take it with mm-hmm. a grain of salt. But I know that, like, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, and, you know, Joshua Fergara, a bunch of YouTube creators really loved that phone for the hardware keyboard. And performance-wise, it was pretty solid for its time, so... Mm, yep. Mm. Yeah. So hey, CS happened. Oh, look at that. We're at the end of the show and we're now talking about CS. That tells you how <laughs> CS week went. 
I have a lot of mixed feelings about it myself in the sense that, you know, I mean, we can't blame them for doing a virtual event. That was the right thing to do. But at the same time, it just didn't feel like it had the impact to me that a normal CS would uh, not just impact on us, the media who run around with their heads cut off and don't sleep for a week but and get a cold at the end. But I'm talking about like <laughs> even for the number of announcements and the depth of the announcement. It seemed pretty mellow and shallow, would you say? It, it did seem quieter, and I don't know if that was a function of just, you know, not having this virtual venue and maybe not getting the signals out there as directly, um, you know, in person or whatever. Um, not being able to trip across the show floor and just, you know, float <laughs> into a booth or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, or, or, you know, for that matter, you know, floating around the hotel uh, lobbies and, and seeing things. But, you know, on the PC side, there were some interesting, you know, some pretty interesting announcements. AMD with, with their Ryzen 5000 series, and then Intel actually stepped up with some promising technology as well on the desktop, which we've been sort of waiting for. So, um, Is that your pick, yeah. Dave? Is that your CS picks? Oh, well, we, we do have a best of CES for sure. We, we did, Should uh, I link to we, that in the show notes? <laughs> you can, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there was certainly some exciting stuff in that space. I think um, if you look at um, Intel's um, Rocket Lake S on the desktop, that's that's a technology, that's a product that uh, we think should be pretty strong. We'll bring some fight back to AMD. It's a prelude really to Alder Lake, which is their true, you know, 10 nanometer successor, um, super fin, 10 nanometer super fin. Um, but it's a good stopgap measure, uh, Rocket Lake S, I should say, mm -hmm. um, where they backported um, their uh, Ice Lake architecture with a little bit of, um, well, Tiger Lake GPU on board to a 14 nanometer process. And so really in increasing IPC significantly on the desktop um, so that they can compete, you know, a little bit more head to head with uh, with AMD and some of these higher core counts. This is an eight core chip. They even compared it to a twelve core AMD Ryzen chip. So wow, it was good. It was good to see Intel stepping out. They they kind of threw the kitchen sink at it. Um, lots of different announcements, new stuff um, on Tiger Lake as well. Um, uh, a new thirty five watt power envelope called uh, Tiger Lake uh, Core H. Uh, uh, so. Um, yeah, some some good stuff, and then of course AMD. Marco, you you did a lot of deep diving on that. Ryzen five thousand is is looking great. I mean, Zen three, uh, four notebooks is is looking strong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, AMD's announcements were particularly interesting because now you have if you look at. Uh, Intel traditionally in notebooks, you, you, they had two architectures. They had an older architecture with more cores in the really high-end gaming notebooks and a more bleeding-end arch architecture with fewer cores in mainstream ultra-thins. Mm -hmm. um, AMD now has a single solution that can address everything. Ah. So, and, and it's looking strong in terms of performance and efficiency and battery life. You know, We have to wait to test it, and there's some details we can't talk about yet, but early indicators are that AMD has got something really strong on their hands too. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So these are the things that you feel stood out. Any specific products using some of these new chips? Yeah. Sure. So yeah, if you look at um, if you look at some of like Lenovo stepped up with a couple of interesting uh, laptops. Uh, Lenovo Legion Five Pro Sixteen, which is a sixteen-inch gaming laptop, and then they have a Slim Seven, which is a a, a thin and light gaming laptop at cool. just four point two pounds, one hundred and forty-four hertz panel there. Um, some cool stuff from Lenovo for sure. And then uh, Asus had some interesting stuff, right, yeah. Marco? 
Yeah, so one of the really cool Asus notebooks um, was the, the the Flow X13. Uh-huh. So I, I like my notebook smaller. So you know this smaller form factor is perfect. <laughs> that nice 13 inch form factor with AMD's second fastest Ryzen 9 5980 HS processor. So super fast A core processor, and it basically has two modes of operation. Like the the default configuration has NVIDIA GeForce GTX graphics you know, in that nice 13-inch form factor. But with this small external graphics box, I forget what they call it, the ROG XG Mobile, you get RTX 3080, so the most powerful mobile graphics with oh. this, you know, external um, PCI Express plug-in Little breakout box. box. Yeah, and you end cool. up, you get a lot more connectivity too, you know, extra ports, you know, a wired Ethernet. Yeah, so it's so, like a dock in a way. You can carry it in your bag, you can use it, leave it in your hotel room sort of thing, you know? Right, yeah. yep. yep. Yeah. And, and, and the laptop itself, is just 2.9 pounds. So oh, it's still a thin and light. Nice. I mean, it's light. So a cool looking machine. Yeah. yeah. I think for me what stood out, even though it's not as light and thin, was the, the new Duos because um, mm-hmm. I was in Taipei for Computex a few years ago for the Duo release, the mm. Pro and the regular. And, you know, they were the beginning because they did a Zephyrus after that and now they have the next gen. And I was always intrigued. I actually got a review unit for a while of the Duo Pro and you know it's not really what i would use and carry around because i'm a like i'm like you marco i like my smaller 13 inch ultra portables but i had to admit the performance and the experience was really interesting and there were a few things that few niggles i had and i think they've remedied most of them so i'm actually excited to see uh what they're doing with it, especially the 14 inch which is not the pro uh it's smaller and it still has the the second display tilts up the only thing that they need to resolve for me that doesn't really work is that trackpad on the right that mm-hmm. is the only thing that i don't know how they can solve that but the relocation of the keyboard to the front of the keyboard deck or to where the palm rest would normally be is is a little weird and difficult to adapt to but the dual display thing really i thought was are really unique and interesting and useful, especially if you're doing things like video editing or a little oh, more yeah. heavy heavy lifting. And with the 14 inch version now, it's pretty light and thin. So, and it charges over USB C only. Not doesn't have like the old Pro had a separate 200 watt adapter with a big coax plug. You could still charge it with USB C, but it didn't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and that that I think is kind of where. For me, if I had to pick a laptop for CS, it probably would be the the non-pro version, new version of the Duo 14 from Asus. Yeah, yeah, I would pick. I would pick the de- honestly, and one one we haven't mentioned yet. Um, it's not coming out till the spring, but they did debut it. The Dell Latitude 9420 for me is the perfect like specification for a laptop. 14 inch. Uh, display 2560 by 1600 so 16 by 10 aspect but you know essentially 2560 by 1600 resolution and then they give you it's tiger lake it's intel tiger lake platform which is great um but they also give you like literally every port under the sun so you get oh, dual yeah. dual thunderbolt 4 you get uh, onboard snapdragon x55 5g modem a sim tray an sd card slot you got type a on there too i mean you're not wanting for I.O. with this thing. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, so we should wrap up. I know there's probably way more CS we talk about, but unfortunately, I couldn't do a special CS show. But, <laughs> you know, I think the S21 looks good. And, uh, I mean, there are some compromises, but I think 
for the most, the average consumer, I think they made the right call. So do you want to tell folks on the show, each of you respectively, where they can find you on your various social media handles and stuff? And one of you, uh, pimp uh, hot hardware, will you? <laughs> sure. Marco, you want to dive in and then I'll finish up? <laughs> um, sure. I mean, I'm super easy to find. Um, I'm so old that all of my handles are just my name. I didn't have to have any weird numbers. So uh, at Marco Cipetta at Twitter, um, same thing on Facebook and LinkedIn. And, you know, the vast majority of my content is on hot hardware, but also a contributor to Forbes.com as well. Yeah, I could almost say that and just repeat the same thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, twitter.com, Dave Altavilla, and then LinkedIn as well. And um, yeah, you can find us on the web at hothardware.com, uh, twitter.com slash hothardware, youtube.com slash hothardwarevids. <laughs> yep, awesome. And you can also find my phone reviews at Hot Hardware, some of them anyway. There you go. Good to have you with us, by the way. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. I uh, like the comic book character Tankerl, but drop the vowels. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is a good place to comment on the podcast if you want to discuss what we just talked about this week or even previous weeks. Just ping me on Twitter. And then Instagram is where you'll find uh, pretty pictures taken with phones and pretty pictures of phones and other things that I'm reviewing for various publications and for myself. So check that out. We also have two YouTube channels, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast is the main channel where all the phone stuff happens. It's mostly just visual complement to the show. So if you want to see what a device looks like, I always tend to unbox everything I get so that I have some visual content. It's not necessarily going to have reviews, but it's going to have uh, some some related content. So check that out. And then we have a new uh, channel where starting to grow a little bit, my producer and I, which is around kind of like smart home and stuff. And it's called youtube.com slash mobile tech more. And uh, please subscribe to that channel. We're looking for subscribers. Uh, there's not a lot of content there yet, but stay tuned. We have a whole bunch of stuff that's coming. And then also the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. That's the URL. There's an RSS feed there. But of course, it's on every major podcasting platform. You'll find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, just to name a few. And if your app lets you rate the show, please consider doing that. It really helps for discovery to have ratings and or reviews. Review the show if you can. Finally, there's a donate link in the show notes. It's a PayPal link. It's pretty straightforward. If you want to help me continue to do this on a weekly basis, I'd appreciate you consider a donation. And I want to thank our sponsor, longtime sponsor we've had on the show for years. It's Audible. Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. And we have a special deal for you. 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end for free. AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech is URL. That's AudibleTrial.com slash mobile tech. If you like reading as much as I do, but you want to listen instead of using your eyes, Audible's got you covered. That's the platform for it. They have the best selection of audiobooks. A lot of the books are read by the authors. There are these epic books, like you can listen to a book that lasts 10, 12 hours. It feels like a real book. You put it down for a little bit, you pick it up again, another couple of hours of listening. It's just really lovely, especially if you're driving a lot, say you're a delivery driver all day and you don't want to just listen to short podcasts, but long form stuff and you can't keep your eyes off the road. Perfect for that. So consider helping us help Audible by checking out this deal. If you click through, you will help us out. So consider that audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And I want to thank Audible for being a longtime sponsor of the show. 
And of course, thanks to Dave and Marco for being my guests this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Yes, thank you. And uh, we'll have another show next week, folks, so stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.